starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, ha they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of, the, of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. I'm sure you've noticed by now that there is rebellion all around us. Does it seem that a week goes by without some major mass shooting event taking place in our country? Not only are we having to contend with war overseas with Russia and Ukraine, with all the atrocities that are taking place there, we have families here in our, our country, in our own neighborhoods, sadly, that are at war within themselves. Families destroying each other, either in court through divorce, or sadly, even at the end of a gun. We're dealing with violence in our homes, violence in the marketplace, and in our schools, now even more tragically with our children. Perpetrators are sadly becoming younger and younger. Oh, God, help us. But the sad truth is that all of us wrestle with our own personal rebelling against God in our own way. We all know what it means to rebel against God. We rebel against God when we go our own direction. We disobey his commandments when we don't seek his guidance, when we seek our own self-interests, or when we merely seek our own security. The reality is that God will always see through our rebellion. He knows how rebellious we could be, and he could make things even more difficult for us in our rebellion. But I am so very thankful, as I hope you are too, and as we'll see today, that as we follow Christ, that in the end, God will always have his way. He'll always, ha he'll always have his way with us as we find ways to praise him all the more for his glorious grace. We've gone back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis. We've been following the seed line of a promised redeemer that was promised in Genesis 3.15 that a child would come to the woman who would destroy evil once and for all. And now this sea line has come to Noah and his sons, in particular to Shem. And now we come to the Tower of Babel. Last week we looked, we looked at Genesis 10, 
which discusses the separation of man geographically and linguistically. I think I've got a map up there for you. We saw how Japheth went to the north and west. All those of European descent are really descendants of Japheth. Ham, of course, went southwest. Again, those who come from Africa are ultimately descendants from Ham. And, of course, Shem, the one in whom the, the promised Redeemer was to come, stayed central and eastward with Noah, as we discovered last week in our study. So last week talks about all the nations and where they ended up being all over the planet. This week in Genesis 11, we're going to find out why that happened. What's the implication? The theological rebellion of mankind and the subsequent implications that brought about the geographical and linguistic separation of mankind. Today we're going to look at the nature of man's rebellion against God and God's measured and consistent response to man's rebellion. We have five truths for your consideration, but before we study, let's ask his help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. We need your help. We thank you for your truth. We know that we need to be enlightened by it. Not enlightened by this man, but by you. Through your word, by the power of your spirit in us. So, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today more than anything else. And, Lord, open your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, we ask. We pray this in your Son's wonderful name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of five. First of all, here in our text, we all know what it means to rebel against God. We, we know what it looks like. We, we know when we are rebelling against him. First of all here, we rebel against God when we go our own direction, and that's exactly what these people did. Verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They're journeying from the east and to the east. And Adam and Eve were sent east of Eden. Cain was sent east. Lot went east and chose Sodom. John Sailhammer, in his book, Pentateuch's Narrative, writes this, Throughout the Genesis narratives, when man moves eastward, he leaves the land of blessing and goes to a land where the greatest of his hopes are turned to ruin. The prodigal son, of course, went to a far country. Jesus himself tells us, you know, there are really only two gates, wide one, narrow one. There are many who are in the wide one and few in the narrow. Of course, the narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate leads to destruction. Beloved, we all know what it means to rebel against God, and we rebel against God when we go our own direction, seeking our own designs, our own purposes, as opposed to seeking His designs and His purposes. But not only that, we rebel against God when we disobey his commandments, which is exactly what these people did in the plain of Shinar. It says in verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Beloved, we know what this looks like. We rebel against God when we disobey his commandments. They were told 
Over and over again, God says, be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. They were going precisely against God, what God had clearly said in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In Genesis 9.1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What, what, what do they want to do? No, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to gather together. We're not going to disperse. They were not given instructions to build a city. They were going with what God hadn't said. A fabricated synthetic city, brick and tar. Whatever was happening here, it was completely man-centered and not God-centered. Psalm 81.11 says this, But my people did not listen to my voice. Speaking of Israel, the psalmist goes on, Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, God says, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Oh, if we just listen to what he has to say, if we just be obedient. God said to Isaiah in Isaiah 119, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus himself says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. For years within the church, we've had this notion that, you know, if we just teach people to know truth, they'll do truth, right? Does that work? No. It's not for a lack of knowledge. You know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> problem is we're not in love with the truth that's what jesus says if you love me you'll keep my commandments we need to know it for sure but we need to love the one who says it the one who's given it to us if we're madly in love with him we'll be all about what he has to say john writes this in first john 2 3 and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments Beloved, we rebel against God when we disobey what he has to say. But thirdly here, we rebel against God when we don't seek his guidance. Notice what they were doing. They're building a tower, it says, and a tower with its top in the heavens. And you kind of go, well, what's that about? What do you mean it's top up in the heavens? Usually when we hear this, we go, oh, it's going to be super tall, super high. No, this is not about height. This is not about the height of what they're building not about that at all it's about their desire to unlock the mystery of the stars they're trying to unlock the mystery of the heavens see for us you know every night you try to decide boy what's on tv tonight you know what should i what should i watch what should i entertain myself with see back in those days there's no tv there's nothing out there's nothing to do in the evening except for let's see what's on the sky tonight let's watch the stars and see what's going on and these people were going to build a tower up into the heavens to try to understand what was up there. They were looking for information and guidance from the stars instead of seeking guidance from God. They had designed to worship the stars through this tower instead of worshiping God himself who made the stars. They had turned to, to dead astrology instead of the living God. They had turned away from God and turn to man's ideas. They were seeking guidance from the stars. And I ask you, who are you seeking your guidance from? 
All kinds of talking heads on TV, aren't there? Doc, the Dr. Phil's of the world, the Oprah's, the Dr. Oz's, pop psychology. They might have some good advice from time to time. But are they themselves seeking godly counsel for you? No, they're not. They're seeking ratings. They just want more viewership. That's what they're about, to try to sell you more stuff. Of course, then we have uh, all kinds of counseling out there in our own communities. People are having trouble, so they go to counseling. That's a, boy, I've, I've got a counselor, people say. I go and talk to that person. And I'm sure there's been people who've been helped by that. I, I, I hope that's the case. But then you have those who say, well, I'm a Christian counselor. Well, that's great. But if the Christian counseling is really couched in secular counseling, we've got a problem. I'm holding on to the Bible. I am a biblical counselor. In other words, we're going to find answers from here, not from anywhere else. You see, from a secular perspective, in terms of guidance, in terms of counseling, understand what's going on. The view of the secular psychologist is that the problem is everybody else. Everybody else has caused you problems and given you grief, and the solution is self, right? It's all about you. You're going to find your answers within yourself. You understand how messed up that is? Where God comes along and says, no, the problem is sin. The problem is self. The solution is Christ. You guys, these are, this is two different worldviews. And even if the Christian counselor is still jamming the secular idea into it, it's messed up. Mark my words. There will be some of you who have kids who one day they'll get bad counseling. They'll come back and they'll say, it's your fault, parent. You blew it. That's why I'm all messed up. Oh, it's out there. I've seen it. I've seen it again. Even this last week, run for your life. I'm not kidding. It's messed up problem is sin, beloved. Where are we seeking our guidance? The solution is Christ and Him crucified. Oh, that we turn to Him and walk with Him and trust Him. We rebel against God when we don't seek His guidance. What does He have to say? Fourthly here, we rebel against God when we seek our own self-interests. Notice what it said in the passage in verse 4. And let us make a name for ourselves. That's what they were about. It's all about us. Look at us. Now, if you are about yourself and your agenda, you lose. The godly line was Shem. Shem's name could easily be pronounced shame, which literally means name. So this is a play on words. They had made a shame for themselves. And the godly line was Shem. You see the, what the author is doing here for us? The godly line was righteous in Shem, who was the great, great grandfather of Peleg in the godly line. Peleg's brother Jochen became the father of the ungodly line through Nimrod at Babel, at Babel. And the word name in Hebrew is the word Shem. Instead of seeking the godly line Shem, they were seeking an ungodly name for themselves, what an irony. And I ask you, whose interests are you looking out for? Looking out for yourself? If that's all you're about, you lose. We rebel against God when we seek our own self-interests. Christ reminds us in Philippians 2 that we should be living a different way. 
that we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, being found like Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, the scripture says. But fifthly here, we rebel against God when we seek our own security. And that sounds noble enough in itself. Well, I just want to make sure I'm safe. I want to make sure I'm okay. This is what they said they did. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I know God said spread out, but no, we're going to stay together. We don't want to be dispersed. That sounds scary. It appears that they thought that they had safety in numbers as they amassed together in the plain of Shinar to build a city and a tower. In essence, they disobediently huddled together in this plain to overcome their fears of dispersal. They did it to enhance their own sense of security. They were unwilling to trust God. The question is, will you trust God? How are you seeking your security? Are you finding it through trusting God, or are you trying to create your own sense of security? Trying to find security within your relationships. Trying to find security in your bank account, in your 401k, through drugs and alcohol, through your porn addiction. What are you trying to find security in? Are you somehow a control freak? you got to control everything? What are you holding on to that you know you need to let go of? Give it up. Find your security in Christ alone, the scriptures say. Beloved, we rebel against God when we seek our own security. Secondly here today, we need to understand this about who God is and what he's capable of doing. God will always see through our rebellion. He sees it. He knows what we're about. He knows what we're doing. Notice what it says in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. He sees it. He sees it all. Can you imagine God looking up there? I told him to disperse. What are they doing? Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You've done foolishly in this. For from now on you will have wars. Job 34, for his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. This won't be on the screen, but listen close. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord, the face of the Lord, are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Oh, how awesome is that? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Oh, praise God for that. And saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Will you trust him for that? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's messianic there. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned beautiful truths, wonderful promises, if we'll just trust him. He sees through it all. He sees through our hearts. Proverbs 5.21 says this, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Beloved, God always, always, always sees through our rebellion, our little ruse that, well, I'm going to hold on to this little thing that I should have given, given up long ago, but no, he sees through it. But thirdly here, 
God also knows how rebellious we could be. This is a remarkable thought. What do you mean? Well, look at the text. Look at verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing, this is an amazing statement, don't miss this with what God's going to say here, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Are you hearing that? This is God Almighty saying that mankind will be in a position where they're going to do whatever they want to do. What a scary prospect that is. This is amazing. Why was that possible? Because they could communicate with one language. Nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. God knows how rebellious we could be if left to ourselves. One of my favorite Christian singing groups from a decade or so ago, FFH, I don't know if you've ever heard of Far From Home, um, they got a song called One of These Days. And in, this line, in the line of that song, One of These Days, it says, And I believe I will see what I would have been if you didn't save me one of these days. <laughs> Wonderful, incredible thought. We see God's mercy here. What is happening right now that is overriding our global inability to communicate? All the languages have been dispersed, but now all of a sudden we're able to communicate globally in a way we've never been able to do so before. How so? What's out there? How is it that we can communicate like we've never communicated before? The Internet. Ah, Google Translate. Is it, are we coming to a place in time where God's going to say, if I don't interrupt, if I don't interject, if I don't intervene, they'll be capable of doing whatever they want to do. God knows how rebellious we could be. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Fourthly today, God can make things even more difficult for us in our rebellion. You've already chosen to rebel against him. There's enough difficulty in that, but he can just make it more difficult. Scripture makes it very clear that the way of the transgressor is difficult. It's hard. Notice what God proposes to do here in verse 7. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Beloved, it is only by God's grace that things aren't worse for us, even right now. Even with all the things that we've done against him, it's only by his grace that it's not worse. You know, I've always thought, you know, life is hard enough as it is, let alone compounding it with my ridiculous rebellions against him. Why would I choose to do that? Sadly, too often we do. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Proverbs 4, 19, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. I'm sure some of you probably read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. There's some wonderful imagery that C.S. Lewis proposes. Edmund, who's kind of the scoundrel in this whole story, Edmund decides to play a trick on his sister, Lucy, because Lucy's claiming that she's been to this other world, and so he wants to play a trick on her, and so he decides to jump in the wardrobe. Now, Lucy, when she went in the wardrobe the first time and found herself all the way into Narnia, 
C.S. Lewis is careful to say and mention that when she gets into the wardrobe, she doesn't close the door all the way because only a fool would close themselves into a, a wardrobe, right? Well, Edmund, he jumps in to play this trick on her and closes the door shut, thus promoting himself to the category of fool. At which point he's now in the dark. And when you're in the dark, you can't see straight, can you? And the imagery that's given by C.S. Lewis is he's in the dark where he can't see. He starts stumbling forward, and now he's grabbing and trying to hold on to anything and, and everything to find direction. Have you seen this with people who are in outright rebellion? When they're in rebellion, they'll start trying to grab onto anything to, to find security and direction. The whole time they're still in the dark, and they don't even know what they're grabbing for whether it's safe or dangerous. God can make things even more difficult for us in a rebellion. Romans 6, 21, For what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? Were you really getting any fruit out of your rebellion anyway? For the end of those things is death. Life is hard enough as it is, let alone finding yourself in opposition to God himself in the dark, grasping for anything. Turn from your rebellion. Scripture all over the place tells us to turn, that is to repent, go in a different direction. God can make things even more difficult for us in our rebellion if we're not careful. But lastly here, and most importantly, don't miss this today. God will always, 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 mark my word, he will always, always have his way with us in the end. He will. He's God, it turns out. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them. Remember what was said? We don't want to disperse. Boom. He disperses them. He has his way over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God wins. He'll always, always, always have his way. God said, spread out. The people said, no. God says, oh, yeah? And the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. That's why he's God. The good news here is that as we follow after Christ, he will ultimately have his way in our hearts. I'm so very thankful for his work in my life. I need all the work I can get. Knowing full well that as we follow Christ, that in the end, God will always have his way with us to the praise and the glory of his grace. And you go, well, what is he purposing to accomplish? Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. For what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is purposing to do in you. He's going to have his way. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've invited Jesus to be your savior, he is in the process of purposing you to be more like Christ for his glory. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Of course, this is prophesied in the Old Testament through guys like Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, God says. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is doing a work in us by his grace to conform us to the image of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I'd like to remind you there's really only two ways for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. You can either agree with God about what's right and what's good and follow after him and find peace and safety in the process. Or you can, in Christ, try to do your own thing. And I'd like to remind you, he will get his ginormous hammer of grace out and deal with you. Why? Because he loves you too much to leave you the way you were. My dad was an engineer at Caterpillar Tractor Company for over 30 years. And down in the assembly plants down in East Peoria, Illinois, where they put these ginormous tractors together. Some of these tractors are as big as this room, man. They're just huge. Imagine a big bulldozer. It would take up this whole area here with a blade that's this big. You imagine after they manufacture all the parts, they've got to put this thing together, right? There comes a point where they've got this you know, big blade, and here's this big you know, arm for this blade to go on for this bulldozer and gee it doesn't quit it doesn't quite fit right you know so what do they do get the sledge and they just beat the crud out of it until it goes on he'll beat on it if he needs to by his grace to conform us to his image. That's what he's purposing to accomplish if you're in Christ. He's going to have his way. He's God. We need to understand who we're dealing with. God always wins. He'll always, always, always have his way with us in the end. So think about this for a second as we wrap this up today. What if God came down and confused the languages of all the people who were developing a pagan worship system based on building a tower up into the heavens to unlock the secret of the stars. What would you expect to find as evidence for this in the world? Well, we'd expect to find there should be different languages. Well, there are, aren't there? Well, how many of them? Oh, about 6,800 of them. Oh, and only about 2,261 of those have ever been written out in any form or fashion. Plus, you should see, we should be able to account for the remnants of this pagan star-centered worship all over the planet. Well, just so happens I have a few pictures for you. What we expect if the Tower of Babel account is actually, in fact, true, which I believe it is, Similar religious concepts all over the globe. Massive civilizations centered on cities with advanced abilities and megalithic construction. Star worship, solstice, and equinox prominence. Accurate star charts. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, Persians, Chinese virtually have all, they've all divided the zodiac up into 12, and nobody knows why. Female goddess worship, animal and human sacrifice, the idea that man can somehow become God. Check out that one. That's the ziggurat of Ur in Iraq. Ziggurat, it's a tiered tower. These things are ginormous. 
This is the ziggurat of Choga Zandil in Iran. That's the largest one in the world. This is in Cambodia, Angkor Thom. Notice how it's layered. You guys, all of these, all these buildings are all lined up astrologically off the stars. Every one of them. You're like, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. It's the, they, they, take, they took the tower, their pagan worship, and they took it all over the planet. This is El Talion in Mexico. It's 365 steps to the top, but it's a ziggurat lined up astrologically. The Mayan temple ruins in Central America, same thing. Temple of the Sun in Mexico. It's all lined up astrologically. This is a reconstruction of the temple of Marduk in Babylon. That's what we, in terms of the footprint that's still there, that's what we think it would have looked like. But here's what's interesting. This is a reconstruction of the temple of Copan in Honduras. Do you see any difference here? Honduras, Central America versus Babylon? Like what in the world? And you go back to uh, Stonehenge in England. It's all lined up astrologically. There's all the alignments for us for summer solstice and equinoxes. They're all trying to unlock the stars, guys. It's everywhere. This is crazy. Some of the construction abilities they have are outrageous. 33 angles in one stone, yet cut perfectly by the Incas in Peru. You can't even slip a credit card between the cracks. It's that well designed and manufactured. Like, who were these people? What were they doing? This is crazy. This is in Ohio. Really? In Ohio? I thought that stuff was all somewhere else. No, it's in Ohio. Serpent Burial Mound, east of Cincinnati, Ohio. You can go there and walk around, check it out. You go, what is it? Well, it's a serpent. It's in the shape of a serpent. Here it is, right there. It's actually, it's got an egg in its mouth. There's the serpent. It's got an egg in its mouth. Hmm, fertility? I don't know. You tell me. Summer solstice is lined up here. Each of the hoops, you've got summer solstice, sunrise, equinox, another hoop down here for winter. It's all lined up astrologically. Just down the street in Ohio. Go take a look. Over in Lake Mills, Wisconsin, my agency, when I was a State Farm agent, was about seven miles away from this one. It's the Asalon State Park. It's a two-tiered ziggurat. You see the tiers? There's one. There's two. And to this day, there are people who will show up on solstice and equinox waiting for the sun to come up and, you know, worshiping Mother Earth. You kind of go, well, this stuff's old. It's the, nobody believes it. The first people just do buy this stuff. Still out there. What would we expect to find if this actually happened? We'd expect to find remnants of it everywhere. And what do we find? Exactly that. Again, we find more correspondence. God says this is how it happened. And we go look and go, sure enough, there it is. We shouldn't be too surprised. This is a secular work by Graham Hancock, Heaven's Beer, Quest for the Lost Civilization. What would these 15 gigantic Moai on Easter Island say if they could speak? These are all lined up astrologically, by the way. On the back cover of the book, the only voice left of these statues and other ancient monoliths is that of the astronomical alignments that govern them. These alignments point to a common link, reveal a shockingly sophisticated understanding of the solar system, and perhaps even encompasses the holy grail of immortality. Oh, really? The inside jacket says, a secret that speaks of a mysterious connection 
mysterious uh, connection between earth and heaven, a secret that transforms temples into stars, the men into gods, the deepest and darkest secret of our forgotten past. And you go, whoa. Stuff's still out there, you guys. Sadly. My question for you today is, have you raised your own tower in your own life over against God? I hope you haven't. If you started the foundation of that thing, I hope you just tear it, just rip it right out, like right now. And let God reign. Let him rule in your heart and your life. Beloved, we all know what it means to rebel against God. We rebel against God when we go our own direction, when we disobey his commandments, when we don't seek his guidance, when we seek our own self-interest, when we merely seek our own security. The reality is that God will always, always, always see through our rebellion. He knows how rebellious we could be. He can make things even more difficult for us in our rebellion. But I am so very thankful, as I hope you are too, that as we follow Christ, that in the end, God will always have his way with us to the praise, to the glory of his grace. As we turn to the Lord's table this morning and contemplate what Christ has accomplished for us, I was brought to passage in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul writes this. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. We're talking about all the nations. I'm going to bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the believers, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. And by this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior are so very welcome to participate with us as we commemorate Christ through the two simple elements, the bread and the cup, the bread which represents his broken body for us as he died on the cross, and the cup which represents his shed blood in full payment of all of our sin once and for all. If you have children with you, make sure they understand the gospel and have made a profession of faith. And I encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as they have an understanding of the gospel so that what they participate in here is meaningful for them. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In this warning, there are really two potential concerns. This idea of partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you have professed Christ as your Savior in the past. But maybe right now, in this moment, you're living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt. 
with how you are living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But better yet this morning would be for you to make things right with God, even right now, in the quietness of this moment, through confession, through repentance, through commitment, and then we invite you to please join us. The other possibilities, perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. If this is the case, I would encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. It was hypocrisy. But even better would be for you in this moment to turn from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to Christ in faith. Finding salvation, grace, forgiveness right now in this very moment. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please, we invite you to join us in this remembrance of Christ. So let's take these packets, let's open them up and make all the noise at the same time so we won't be distracted by that. And I invite you to hold both elements and we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. But during this time of preparation, I encourage you to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his incredible sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Let's have a few moments of silent reflection. you please pray aloud with me our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen as paul has written to the church in corinth for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tom Elliott to pray for the bread, which was broken for us. So we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this time that we can pause and reflect on the cross of Christ and what it means to us. It's a symbol of, of shame and suffering by the perfect Lamb of God. And we're so thankful that he gave his life there for each and every one of us, that we might be forgiven just by trusting in him as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the simple gospel message 
that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And we must simply believe in him, trust in him as our Savior. And we will be forgiven of all of our sins because he took upon himself the tremendous weight of the sin of the world that day on the cross. We thank you that he lives now and lives forevermore and that we have that eternal life through our faith in him. And may we now renew our commitment to you because of, of this great gift. And uh, draw us near to you, we pray now, as we partake of these elements. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tim Peterson to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy and your plan of salvation for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, instilling in us this moment that we can stop pause and reflect upon the tremendous sacrifice that was made for us um, through his body and his blood. Jesus, thank you for your willingness and obedience to the Father um, in going forth and becoming that sacrificial lamb for us so that we may live uh, and be forgiven. And it is in your name that we pray and live and breathe and find our very being. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand for our closing benediction? Jeff, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer, would you, sir? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, how you work in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would hold on to us today, Lord, that we would not run the way of the world and that we wouldn't uh, rely on ourselves or on uh, mystical traditions, but Lord, that we would uh, run to you, that we would look to you for all of the answers for everything that we need. And so Lord, bless us today. Bless our time as we leave this place. May we uh, be focused on the things of you even after we leave this building. And uh, may everything that we say and do glorify and honor you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you again. You're dismissed.